Again, in Eastern philosophy, the word consciousness or awareness is used and often capitalized to represent the absolute, the divine nature, the prime source, the prime mover, God, the absolute. In the Western Abrahamic traditions of Judaism and Christianity and Islam, that consciousness is referred to as love. That's an important concept to understand, that Judeo-Christian love and Islamic love is consciousness. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's class, The Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. In many ways, we're going back to basics today. Whenever I do a radio program or a class like this on the subject of fear, In my own mind, anyway, I think of it as returning to basics. Because it is just so fundamental. I mean, the the fundamental nature of reality is consciousness. Let's be clear. The fact that we're sentient, that we're aware, is the primal cause behind everything. If you look at cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, if you daisy chain your way back, for example, like, well, what caused this? And you look at it and say, well, yeah, but that must be an effect of something else. So what was its cause? And you keep going back, it's awareness. It's the one thing you cannot get behind. And... Again, in Eastern philosophy, the word consciousness or awareness is used and often capitalized to represent the absolute, the divine nature, the prime source, the prime mover, God, the absolute. In the Western Abrahamic traditions of Judaism and Christianity and Islam, that consciousness is referred to as love. That's an important concept to understand, that Judeo-Christian love and Islamic love is consciousness. In fact, the trinity in Islam, at least among Sufis and Sufism, is the beloved love and the lover. The beloved being the source, God, Allah, And uh, the lover being each of us, the individual incarnated, the physical realm. And love being that consciousness element in between that connects energy to matter or spirit to, to matter. 
And uh, that's the Christos. If you ever wondered what Christ is about, it's not the last name of Jesus or, or Joseph or, or Mary. It wasn't like Joe Christ and Mary Christ had a son named Jesus. Christ is a title. And that Christos is a, a reference to an energy or a spirit or a force. Hence love meaning consciousness. Consciousness is love. The absence of that is fear. And that's where we begin. Now, love is not a feeling, technically, as I've just described. It's the vivifying life force itself. But there are qualities of feeling that go with love, primarily happiness, joy, uh, peace, contentment, excitement and enthusiasm, a sense of adventure. But love itself, even in clinical psychology, is not seen as an emotion. There are six basic emotions, happiness and sadness, anger, fear, surprise, and disgust. Those are the six basic emotions. Happiness, sadness, anger, and fear, surprise, and disgust. And then all other feelings radiate out from there. There is a a feeling wheel I may talk about in one of our classes about uh, it shows those six feelings in the center. But if someone were to say, well, it comes down to two, it would be love and fear. And so what is fear? It's the absence of love. It's the absence of consciousness. And yet we all have it. Now, there's a lot of denial around it, right? Like, I'm not afraid. Okay, <laughs> I have my doubts. I tend to worry sometimes, maybe too much. Maybe I worry too much, but I'm not afraid. Well, I, you know, I, I, I have my concerns, but you can't call that fear. Really, why not? How does it benefit us to find a dozen different names for fear to minimize it? and to ignore it and deny it and repress it as if there's some benefit in running away. And this is where we're going to begin after the opening meditation with what I really feel is the most important concept of all to understand when we talk about fear, love and fear, or consciousness and the absence of being conscious or aware. And that's that fear has nothing at all to do with danger. And yet every dictionary, even the Oxford Dictionary, I've checked, every dictionary I've ever looked in describes fear as an emotional feeling that is a response to danger, real or imagined. There's some threat or hazard, real or imagined. But it's not true. What fear is is how it feels not to understand. It's unawareness. It's uncertainty. It's confusion. It's ignorance. Ignorance. <laughs> it's ignorance and ignorance. And, and we can prove that because the antidote is understanding. 
whether you called it fear or anxiety or stress or worry or doubt, or I'm just a little nervous, slightly apprehensive. I have my concerns all the way out to panic and horror and the dysfunctions that accrue as a result of that, like phobias or panic attacks or obsessive compulsive disorder or even attention deficit disorder. There are so many problems. Depression, of course. It's not thought of as an anxiety disorder, but maybe it should be. They're so closely aligned. Not all depression, but most depression is anxiety. So if we call it anxiety, now it's not fear. Clinical psychologists might say, yeah, there's a difference. Fear is a response to danger. There you go again. But anxiety is sort of free-floating and non-specific. It's the result of overstimulation and just not being able to figure stuff out. But again, as far as I'm concerned, it's all fear because whether you call it anxiety or fear or anything else, the more you understand the world and yourself, the less fear and anxiety you experience, the less stress, the less you suffer. So the question is, how do I understand? How do I understand what I'm afraid of? How do I lift my experience and my knowledge to a more complete and profound level of understanding? And of course, that's awareness, that's consciousness, isn't it? So we close the circle. That's what we're going to talk about today. And it's just so important. I can't emphasize enough. I wish I could. Maybe I am. <laughs> How important it is for us to become fearless. To confront not only the major paralyzing fears in our lives when they present themselves, whether externally, the fear of some situation, or more to the point, internally, the fear that comes from low self-awareness. Those are the two kinds, really. What is it we don't know when we're afraid? We don't know the world around us. We don't know what's going to happen next. Something new in our lives is unknown, or something old was never understood, like stuff from childhood. There is situational awareness, but the self-awareness is the problem. We don't know ourselves. That's the source of our fear. Could it be? Could it be that simple? That to know thyself is to remove the fear? And you begin to understand what you're really capable of when you face what you don't know and see it not as a danger, but an opportunity to learn and step into that anxiety, step into those fears. The primary theme of my book, Fearless Intelligence, is on the very top of the back cover is my epiphany as a young man sitting in meditation, hearing a voice in my head that said, Michael, the best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. And wow, you mean that's where all the answers are hidden? <laughs> of course, they're hidden where I refuse to go. So go there, you know. More in a minute, let's do our opening meditation. If you get comfortable in your chairs or your pillow, 
sitting on your meditation cushion, cross-legged on the bed, wherever you happen to be. And exhale. Uh, maybe stretch a little bit. Tap your feet on the floor, get back in your body. Wide awake, back in the room, feeling better and better and better. Very good. So, do you understand how the weather works? High pressure and low pressure areas in that uh, you have these cyclonic and counter-cyclonic weather systems. Or maybe you've heard that um, in the northern hemisphere of the world, Water goes down the drain in one direction, and, <laughs> and in the southern hemisphere, it goes down the drain in the other direction. Uh, energy always moves in spirals. You can see it in many galaxies, now that we have these incredible telescopes. By the way, have you seen any of the photos from this new James Webb Deep Space Telescope? It's a million miles from Earth. They put that puppy way out there. And, uh, gosh, it, it's just like so much greater resolution than even the Hubble by far. I don't know the, the factor. Ten times better, a hundred times better, I don't know. But it's much better than even Hubble. It's just amazing. We're looking so deeply into space that we're looking at the beginning of time itself. We're looking at galaxies that are uh, just beginning to form stars. It, so far away, it, it took that long, billions and billions of years for the light to reach us. Telescopes are time machines. So you see these spiral galaxies, um, you see spirals in water going down the drain. You see spirals in your weather, tornadoes, hurricanes, dust devils. They're all sporadic. That's the way energy moves. The wind off or, or the air off an airplane wing or a bird's wing. The water coming off the back of a boat spirals. It's the way it moves. Well, I'd like to introduce you to a concept that is spiralic and is a mental and emotional engagement. In one case, the spiral is fear and ignorance. And the way the emotion, the feeling of fear, and the mental state of ignorance promote each other into a movement that goes around and around but it's spiralic, so it also has the third dimension of pulling you down and down. So think about it. Anything that's frightening is confusing. The more frightened you are, the more stressed, the more nervous, the more shattered and scattered you become, right? Sometimes when people yell at us or they come at us rapid fire, we can even inadvertently train people to do that. They feel powerful because we get scattered and we can't really put our thoughts together and we don't really know what to say. And it's like, bah, 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 bah. it's all too much, right? It's just, you're overwhelmed. And they take unfair advantage of you that way. 
even litigation in a courtroom, they'll do that, you know, pressure you and scatter your attention. So fear and anxiety makes us unaware. Uh, We could almost say fear makes you stupid, but you're not really stupid. You just can't. There's a trade-out. You know, the body, when it feels afraid, it thinks there's a danger. It prepares you. And one of the trade-outs is you lose the higher brain function. And instead of being creative, you're left with either or, fight or flight. You got to survive. So good ideas never occur to you when you're stressed out, when you're having an argument of significance or dealing with difficult people or stressed out for whatever reason. That's not when you get great ideas. That's not when you suddenly write a song right? or, or realize some pattern in your life. Great ideas happen when you're deeply relaxed, when you're in the shower, when you're walking the dog and, you know, Miller time around the back porch and your feet up looking at the clouds and suddenly you get this great insight, this understanding. So stress and anxiety and worry and doubt and nervousness and all of that, which collectively we call fear, promotes ignorance. Not only makes it difficult to learn and understand, but it takes what we already knew and shatters and scatters that. And ignorance, for its part, just being confused or uncertain, is a scary feeling. So do you see how each feeds the other? How fear promotes ignorance, which promotes fear, which promotes ignorance. There's your cyclone. That's the fuel. That's the engine that pulls you down. You feel the great sucking of feeling the great toilet flush of confusion. It's fear and ignorance. That's the low-pressure area that pulls you down. The antithesis of that, the opposite, the complement, is a cycle in the other direction, a spiral that lifts you up. And that would be, the, as I say, the antithesis. What is the opposite of fear? Love. What is the opposite of ignorance? Understanding. Love and understanding. Wow, those two words really go together, don't they? I've heard those words used together, love and understanding. Would love promote understanding? Let me think. What is love? Well, it's a peaceful, easy feeling. I think I just quoted the eagles. It's contentment. It's feeling safe and relaxed, right? Does that not promote understanding? Well, of course it does. And understanding, how does it feel to suddenly realize something, to understand it? To, oh, I see. Yeah. Thought I knew it, but now I really understand it. Big breath. Ha, phew, that's a relief. And all this wonderful warmth, this love, this happiness comes rushing in. So you have that same effect of love promotes understanding, understanding promotes love, which promotes understanding, which promotes love. There's your cyclone, only this is the high pressure. This comes up. This lifts you up. By the way, and for the purposes of today's class, it's a bit of an aside, but what would connect those two? How do I get from the downward spiral of fear and ignorance. (laughs) How can I 
transition to that, how can I reverse it and transition to that upward spiral of love and understanding? I think there are two tracks. This is the way I think of it anyway. And by the way, you'll find all of this in my book, Fearless Intelligence. If you don't have a copy, if you haven't given them to your friends, I really appreciate the support. I put five years and <laughs> five years into that book. Really proud of it. The two tracks that lift us from the downward spiral of fear and ignorance to this beautiful upward spiral of love and understanding are relaxation and responsibility. They're both R's like railroad. Railroad, think of a railroad has two tracks. One of them is relaxation, one of them is responsibility. Relaxation as in meditation as in breathing, as in letting go. Responsibility, the ability to choose a response. You've got to give up victimization and helplessness. I will concede that in many ways life is a two-way street, but most people see it as 90, 95% done to us and maybe 5 or 10% what we do with it or what we initiate. And if that's the way you see it, then that's your reality. You've got to think of life primarily as what you put into it. You know, the great axioms about give and you shall receive and do unto others. It's not about, you know, or, or sowing so that you reap. It's not about harvest the grain so you'll have seeds to sow it, or if they apologize, then you'll apologize. It's like, first you give, first you you initiate. Right? You have to go first. That's leadership. Think of it as leadership. Each of us, when you find the freedom in what I'm about to say, it's just extraordinary. Listen to this. I've said it before. It bears repeating. It's deep and profound. Each of us is responsible for circumstances and situations we did not cause. You see a piece of trash on the street, bend over, pick it up, put it in your pocket, and don't think twice about it. And when you get home, throw it in the trash. Just because you didn't do it. I mean, come on, we're not six years old and arguing with our brother or sister. Imagine if half of the world did that. Imagine if 10% of the world did that. Imagine if 2% of the world behaved in that way. Now imagine yourself behaving in that way. There's limits. There's stuff you can't do that you'd like to do. We want to have more impact on global warming. We want to stop the insanity of war and extreme poverty and homelessness in our big cities and gun violence and fentanyl and the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The strong movement toward fascism in America is indicated by politicians who turn Americans against other Americans. It's that simple. When a politician tells you that the, your enemy is your neighbor, remember, love thy neighbor. Your enemy is the guy 
next door to you that is in a union or a school teacher or a scientist or a doctor and you should hate them and fear them that leads to fascism that's that's an authoritarian move so we could make a long list of what's wrong with the world but instead of saying well how do i fix that there's nothing i can do and then you succumb to that sense of powerlessness do little things be responsible for circumstances for situations you did not cause that's a way of facing fear and stepping into your power it will change the way you feel it'll change the way you think it will change who you are it will grow who you are i don't mean just lateral change or random change you'll be different you'll be more it's growthful it's progressive relaxation and responsibility are the keys to lifting ignorance to understanding and just as understanding drives out ignorance by virtue of what it is so too consciousness drives out evil to be aware is the secret to understand that's how you fight evil it's that easy <laughs> you understand it you face it you want to be a, a warrior a spiritual warrior your shield is love your sword is truth you want to arm yourself as a spiritual warrior pick up the shield of love what that does is repel everything that is not love you know love's magnetic right right i feel attracted to you oh you not so much i'm rather repelled by you there's a magnetic quality to consciousness so your shield is love it attracts love and repels everything that is not but the sword the sword is truth and it's not a sword for letting blood or killing people it's a sword for rendering the veils of illusion cutting through the miasma the smoke and the fog and the, everything that stands in the way of seeing truly and clearly what's actually happening you become a champion not only for yourself but for those who don't understand those who are poorly equipped you can really be a champion not from rhetoric and not from arguing politics not from overdosing on cnn or msnbc or fox news be careful of that my god that's what i did for a living I even taught journalism in college, and I'm telling you, don't overdose on that. Be careful. You've got to expose yourself to it. Cause you, you want to be well-informed and aware and smart and current, you know, hip to the trick, what's going on here in the world. But by God, don't, just because it's good to be smart and knowledgeable doesn't mean more is always better. you you know, scare the bejesus out of yourself if you if you watch too too much of that stuff. So, when we talk about heroes, and Joseph Campbell is the fellow that gets credit for using or coining, I guess, the phrase "the hero's journey." 
The hero's journey is really a monomyth. It is a formula. If you've ever thought about writing fiction, you must know about the monomyth. Google it. It is a formula in all great fable. And Campbell described the monomyth as a hero's journey. And the subtext, the primary concept, is that the adventures of the hero in fighting evil, saving the damsel in distress, always have the appearance of being external. You know, I think of uh, the Tolkien trilogy, and uh, we were watching a bit of this extended, this new extended version came out, this three and a half hour where they go through the mines and uh, this is where they lose Gandalf for a time. He goes off the cliff. And what does that represent? You know, this, this great evil that rises up out of the depths of the earth, this fiery monster that Gandalf engages and these other trolls and goblins and orcs and monstrous beings from the pits of hell. That's the subconscious. You know, that's the, we've all got that going on. Or whether it's Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and uh, or the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. Notice there were good witches in Oz as well. And fighting evil is about facing fear. But the significance of the monomyth is that it's internal. The dragons that need to be slain to get to the gold, the witches that need to be dispatched, if you're going to liberate the beautiful princess from her prison tower, are in you. They're the shadows in you that need to be faced and battled. But usually it's just a matter of, it's not much of a battle once you face it. You realize it's shadow and represents your failure to understand yourself. Yeah, the world, as I said, situational awareness. But that's a reflection of you, so the real battle is with yourself. The source of our fear is us. You see? It's our ignorance, it's our lack of understanding, it's our unwillingness to know who we are as unique individuals incarnate in these animal bodies, unique individuals, fingerprint evidence, DNA proof of our individuality, of our uniqueness, a universe that won't even replicate snowflakes, right? And paradoxically, part of one whole thing. Like a jigsaw puzzle, every piece is unique, every piece is different. It's a different shape, has a different position, it has different information on the surface, but it all snaps together to form one whole thing. And it's not an either or, it's a both. You are the one, the one life. You're an aspect of that. Like all colors come from white light all from the same rainbow, you see? So blue is not 
yellow and green is not red. They're different colors, but they're all from one light. Chords. Play the first, the third, and the fifth on the piano. It's a beautiful chord. Flat the third, minor chord. Beautiful. Sounds like one thing. It's three different notes vibrating at three different frequencies, but those frequencies have a mathematical relationship to each other. If I remember right, the fifth is two-thirds, and the third is three-quarters. It's, it's mathematical. That's why it sounds harmonious. That's why it fits. You know, the Beach Boys, the Barbershop Quartet, <laughs> you know, the Bee Gees. Why does that sound so incredible, those harmonies? So between unity and diversity is harmony. Between spirit and matter is consciousness. Between energy and the material world is love, consciousness, harmony. And this is truth and this is wisdom. And this is awareness. And it's the antidote to fear. It's understanding. Okay? Shield is love. Sword is truth. Each of you are spiritual warriors. I know you are. You're here. 